Hello, you're listening to Global Questions, the podcast breaking down international news and politics. I'm Kelly. And I'm Joshua. This is The Wrap-Up, your fortnightly dose of news from all around the world. We have a shorter episode this week with just two stories, not because there isn't a ton of interesting news from around the world, but because Josh and I actually spent this weekend wrapped up in some local news, the Australian federal election. Yeah, there was a seismic shift in our national politics over the weekend, and not only will that have domestic implications, but it's also likely to affect Australia's foreign policy. There's been a number of interesting articles about what Labor's election could mean for our relationship with the EU, with China, and with the Pacific region, and those articles are linked in the episode description. So, given we've got a slightly shorter episode today, take the time to give them a quick read. Definitely. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing a groundbreaking election in the Philippines and Sri Lanka's economy, which is quickly spiralling into disaster. Polls opened just after dawn in the Philippines, and soon after, people were queuing around the block at this voting centre in Manila. Kelly, in the last fortnight, there's been a truly massive development in Filipino politics. The country voted for a new president to replace Rodrigo Duterte. And as you may have heard on the news, the outcome was astounding. The son of infamous Philippines dictator Ferdinand Marcos is set to become the country's new leader after a thumping victory in the presidential election. Despite his family's brutal history, Bongbong Marcos sailed to victory in a landslide, winning nearly 60% of all the votes. Now, Bongbong was a controversial candidate from the beginning, but since his victory, the controversy has only deepened. Protesters gather outside the Election Commission building to protest against what they say are voting irregularities. There's been allegations of vote buying and broken ballot counting machines, and all of this has culminated in a legal challenge against his victory. A petition has been filed before the Supreme Court seeking to nullify the looming electoral victory of presidential Bedford and Marcos Jr. The Filipino Supreme Court has been asked to overturn the election and install the runner-up as president instead. All of this raises profound questions about the future of Southeast Asia's oldest democracy. Wow, I didn't realise the Philippines were Southeast Asia's oldest democracy. That makes this a very interesting story. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us more about Bongbong Marcos and his father. Sure. So Bongbong Marcos is the only son of the former dictator Ferdinand Marcos, who ruled the country for 20 years. He has proclaimed himself president, prime minister, chief of the armed forces and one man government all in one. Criticism of his actions and his regime has been outlawed. His political opponents have been jailed. It's estimated that Ferdinand Marcos imprisoned 70,000 political opponents, many of whom were tortured and executed, with their bodies dumped in the streets as a warning. The Marcos family also stole, get this, roughly $10 billion from the National Reserve, and they used it to buy mansions all around the world, along with luxury cars, gold, and art by artists like Picasso and Van Gogh. Ferdinand Marcus's wife infamously even had a shoe collection with 3,000 pairs of shoes. 
That wealth and excess eventually led to the collapse of his regime in 1986. Ferdinand Marcos fled to Hawaii with his son, Bong Bong, and they took with them crates of cash, gold, and paintings. In fact, he took so much wealth with him that the Filipino government created a commission to track down what he stole. And even now, 36 years later, it's only located half of the missing $10 billion, with another $5 billion unaccounted for. That is a lot of money. So why did the Filipinos overwhelmingly vote for Bongbong Marcos, given his family's legacy? Yeah, it looks like there's a number of reasons. First of all, over the last decade, Bongbong Marcos has been largely successful in rebranding and rehabilitating his family's legacy. He's built a huge social media presence, which has pumped out a lot of fake news mixed in with videos of him trying out the latest TikTok dances and trends. Marcos Jr.'s got more than 10 million followers across Facebook, YouTube, TikTok and Twitter. His campaign is turbocharged by his own social media team. He frequently claims that his family is innocent, and it seems a large proportion of voters have believed him. Second, there's a lot of disillusionment within the Philippines about the country's economy. Poverty is widespread, inequality is high, and faith in democracy has been declining. So Bongbong Marcus successfully portrayed himself as an outsider who could shake things up and improve the economy. And third and finally, he's had a little bit of help. His running mate for vice president was Sarah Duterte, the daughter of the current president, Rodrigo Duterte. That meant that he gained the informal endorsement of the Duterte family and was the obvious choice for many of Duterte's supporters. Okay, but you also mentioned that Bongbong's win is being challenged in the Supreme Court. What is that all about and is it likely to succeed? Mm, Yeah, so his win is being challenged on the basis that he was previously convicted of tax evasion, which could technically make him ineligible to become president. But overall, analysts say it's unlikely the Supreme Court is going to overturn the election result. Twelve of the court's 14 judges were appointed by Bong Bong's ally, Rodrigo Duterte. And what's more, overturning his win would automatically invalidate the 60% of votes that were cast for Bong Bong Marcus in the first place. And that would probably cause outrage across the country. So presuming Bong Bong Marcos is sworn in as the next president in the coming weeks, what will his election and the return of the Marcos family mean for the Philippines and the wider Southeast Asian region? Well, let's start with the Philippines itself. So Bong Bong Marcos's party also won a majority in the Filipino Congress, which means he'll be able to implement whatever policies he wants. However, For the most part, it's actually not clear what those policies will be. He barely released any throughout the campaign. However, it is feared that he'll use his position to undermine the ongoing investigations into his family's wealth. So that remaining $5 billion may never be found. As for the implications for the wider region, Bongbong has already announced he'll expand the Philippines' ties with China. And that's a big shift as the Philippines has historically been allied with the US. And part of the reason for that shift is that the US has actually imposed sanctions on the Marcos family, so Bong Bong doesn't feel too kindly towards the Biden administration. Finally, I think the election also highlights some worrying trends that we're seeing across Asia 
and the whole world really, namely the growing power of online misinformation, rising skepticism with democracy, and the concentration of power into the hands of just a few political dynasties, in this case, the Marcos and the Duterte families. So look, regardless of what happens next with the Supreme Court challenge and the swearing in of Bong Bong Marcos, it's clear that the Philippines is in for quite a ride in the coming years. Sri Lanka has officially defaulted on its foreign debt as it confronts its worst economic crisis in more than 70 years. It exhausted a 30-day grace period that took effect after it missed coupon payments worth $78 million last month. It's the culmination of what everyone is calling the worst economic meltdown since Sri Lanka's independence in 1948. The inflation rate is heading towards 40% and the Sri Lankan rupee has fallen by 45% against the US dollar. To put that into perspective, Josh, there were reports in April that something like a kilogram of rice now cost over 500 rupees, an increase from just 80 rupees. It's also a country that relies on the importation of essential items like petrol, food items and medicine, which has had dire consequences for its citizens. Angry, frustrated and helpless, Sri Lankans have had to queue up for most essentials in recent weeks. Today they were told there's no more petrol left. This all means that Sri Lanka's new Prime Minister has an uphill battle to win back his own citizens. So Kelly, how did we get to this situation? How did Sri Lankan politics fail the country so badly and lead to this economic crisis? Yeah, that's a really good question, Josh. Sri Lanka's politics have been ruled by the Rajapaksa family for two decades. Mahinda Rajapaksa has served as either president or prime minister for 15 out of the last 20 years. In the 2019 elections, Mahinda's brother Gotabaya Rajapaksa became president, while Mahinda's two brothers and son became ministers as well. But now things have really changed. Sri Lanka's Prime Minister has resigned following weeks of protests over the country's worsening economic crisis. The government has imposed a state of emergency and a curfew as protests escalate. The country has a new Prime Minister saying things are going to get worse before they get better. There is some good news, so the new Prime Minister is not part of the Rajapaksa family. His name is Ranil Wickremesinghe, and he was sworn in as the new Prime Minister about two weeks ago. United National Party leader Ranil Wickremesinghe took oaths as Prime Minister this evening. This is Wickremesinghe's sixth time at the head of a Sri Lankan government. He's a former Prime Minister who has held the position five times before, most recently in 2019. Although it is early days since he's been reinstated, his recent press conferences have indicated that he will likely engage in bailout negotiations with the International Monetary Fund. However, your question, Josh, about how he's going to fix the economy is a very difficult question to answer. Yeah, difficult for everyone, including a veteran leader of Sri Lanka, it sounds like. Definitely. And I think it's important that we explore how this economic crisis developed in the first place. So after independence, Sri Lanka's GDP was largely sourced from exports. They exported crops like tea, coffee, rubber and spices, as well as garments. 
Now, the money that was earned from these exports was in turn used to buy imports of essential food items and fuel. As you can imagine, the heavy dependence on exports means that Sri Lanka's foreign reserves are really easily put under strain by any decline on exports. This has resulted in a huge dependence on the IMF. Sri Lanka has asked the International Monetary Fund for urgent help following a financial crisis that has engulfed the island state. It's halted its debt payments, stoking fears that its economy could be about to collapse. Since 1965, Sri Lanka has obtained 16 loans from the IMF. Any IMF nerd will know that the loans often come with conditions, and Sri Lanka had to comply by reducing their budget deficit, cutting government subsidies, and depreciating the currency. But in times of economic downturns, a good fiscal policy normally means that the government must inject economic stimuluses. Exactly. And we've seen that all around the world, really. During COVID-19, governments started handing out money in order to save the economy and to bail out small businesses and individuals and their own personal debts. Yes, that's the perfect example. But precisely because of the IMF loan conditions, Sri Lanka couldn't just simply start handing out money to small businesses or its ordinary citizens. And it wasn't just COVID-19, which would have been challenging enough to the economy. The government banned all imports of chemical fertilizer to prevent the drain of foreign exchange reserves. Experts warn that due to the shortage of fertilizer this season, the harvest of this season will be reduced rapidly and a food shortage may occur. So Josh, a lower agricultural production overall meant that Sri Lanka was earning less from their exports. And that meant that Sri Lanka couldn't import as much food and essential items for the normal Sri Lankan people, resulting in the protests that have led to this huge leadership change recently. So the new PM is talking to the IMF and, as we understand it, potentially asking for a new loan for Sri Lanka. Is a 17th loan going to be enough to fix this problem? Well, even a new IMF loan is a band-aid solution. It will only increase Sri Lanka's debts, but it could help stabilise the economy in the short term and buy the new Prime Minister some much-needed time. And on that note, that brings us to the end of this instalment of The Wrap-Up. Next week will be the fourth episode in our in-depth season on technology. Rhiannon will be chatting to some special guests about the global space race and how it could affect politics, the environment and international conflicts. Until then, you know the drill. Follow our Instagram page for news updates, quizzes and bonus content. You can also get in touch with us and suggest an episode topic via our website. Links are all in the episode description. We'll see you in a fortnight. Bye.